that pass, and he's going to go for a skate. Here's Besser, shoot, score! Stick in rink pod from Callwood. Stick and Rink Pod. Hey, what's up? Stick and oh. Rink Podcast. Okay, there okay. you go. Yeah. That's oh. a Canuck logo, by the way, Stick and Rink. When I watched the Canucks, the speed's great, but they need a bit of spark. I was wondering if it would be possible to give it by having Frank Drebin shit on the ice. Thanks for that. It takes a special kind of Vancouver selects from the University of Michigan, Quinn Hughes. This is Jim Benning, you got the wrong number. This is Jim Benning, you got the wrong number. You guys ready today or what? This is where we clean up today, boys. Why isn't anyone taking full in? You know, um, speed and skill, remember. You know, speed and skill. Vancouver Canucks select um, as a team right now. We don't want to, you know, uh, this is Jim Benning, you got the wrong number. Coming to you from the shores of beautiful Vancouver Island, this is the Stick in Rink podcast. My name's Isha, alongside my good pal Dylan, and it is goddamn gorgeous today here on Vancouver Island. It's gorgeous out. Canada is one year older. We just experienced July 1st. 152. 150. That's that's quite the number there, You folks. know what's crazy is, uh, you know, knock on wood, we will most likely be uh, be around to celebrate 200. <laughs> Dylan, I don't care. I don't know about you. I don't care. Uh, I don't care how... Uh, how old I am, how maybe weak I am at that point, we're going ham that night. Going ham up in here. Yeah, I, I hope I can make or it that to that morning. point. Yeah, or that morning, however I choose to do so. Those but, fried uh, eggs, let me tell you. Oh man, it's going to be something else. Those fried eggs and a morning mimosa, Canada 200. You've already got it all planned out, eh? I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it's crazy. It hasn't crossed my Canada mind. Canada turns 152. The celebrations were running wild up and down Vancouver Island. The traffic was, <laughs> was murderous nuts. on the Malahat. But hey, I actually hung tight in Nanaimo uh, a little bit later Monday evening. And by the time I hit Malahat traffic, folks, if you're... Outside of Vancouver Island and British Columbia, it's uh, just it's a mountain pass highway to get from uh, just every <laughs> the North Island, pretty much everywhere north of Victoria, just to the North Shore of Victoria, the southern tip. And you have to go through a uh, mountain pass and some of it's two lane. Some of it isn't. Um, it's 80 kilometers an hour. People decide to go way too fast on this windy road, and, you know. Getting some accidents every now and then. So that, along with the ton of traffic, usually backs it up on uh, holidays. Lucky, uh, I guess, for both of us, we didn't have to experience that coming home. No, coming home. Heading up on Friday, actually. Ooh. I got killed going on Friday. But uh, that that mountain pass, if, if anyone lives near a mountain and has to go through that goddamn thing, 
you know how terrible it can be. Well, Shuts down sometimes. I mean, one lane out of the city that connects to the pass before it opens up to two. It's still pretty ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. It just goes to show, and we're a pretty small city here in Victoria, British Columbia. For everyone listening, the United States and uh, you know out east. Yeah, greater region about three hundred fifty thousand. I'd say. Yeah, I and think what was we, the we, we looked it up the other day. Yeah. I think it was three hundred sixty thousand. And the island was just over seven hundred. Yeah, about seven sixty. I think. So there you go. So there's like yeah. some cities in the United States who are just laughing. Uh, right oh, I, absolutely. But folks, you have to understand that because we live on an island. I mean, hell, these roads that were built, you know, in Victoria, ninety, eighty years ago, they were not meant. <laughs> for this many people yeah even no, even no. the infrastructure in the last you know 40 to, to 50 years was not expecting uh this the southern part of the island to grow the way that it's growing and now it's becoming a tech hub so it's just it's just moment it, it'd be popping as you would say it'd be popping and uh you know who else is popping chly 101.7 fm and you can find us there on sundays 5 to 7 p.m. Streaming online as well, chly.ca. Uh, the final dates of our live chly shows this summer are as followed. Um, July 14th and July 28th. So book it. We're going, yeah, that's right, three hours, four Ooh. to seven on those two days. There's a ton of NHL talk. <laughs> Isha is going to literally shotgun a Red Bull before we start. Yes. It's going to be amazing. Um, And if you missed us on June 16th, we were there a few weeks ago you can download hour one and hour two of the podcast uh wherever you get your podcasts from at stick in rink pod uh moving on to uh patreon which is another platform which you can find us and we'd love for you to support us there because we have exclusive giveaways plus extra content to all of our loyal patrons so support us all donations go towards improving the show and providing you folks with prizes merchandises Herbal Active Foot Rubs. Um, $1 also gets you an additional episode of Stick and Rink, the Stick and Rink pregame show. So subscribe today. Honestly, you're you're missing out if you're not listening to that content. Oh. Like our, our Patreon pregame show is something else. <laughs> it's Ask something Shane else. About it. <laughs> Ask him about it. It's, it's amazing, folks. But you know what? The best thing you can do today oh. is rate and review the show on iTunes. And you know what? Thank you. Thank you to everybody who's been kind enough to give us a review. Yes, and, and a rate. A rate and review. Five stars, baby. They go together like fish and chips. All right. Uh, a little bit of a... PB&J. S- a little bit of a smaller show this week than last week. Two hours last week. Has that... I think only... Trail the Stick and Ring podcast. Only once ever did the Stick and Ring podcast ever hit the two-hour mark. And this is, you know, excluding Stick and Ring radio. Um, but, hey, it was a jam-packed show last week. And Curtis Toneff, you know, he was kind enough to give us uh, quite a bit of his time. Uh, so, so, so that was awesome. But this week, we're cutting it down a little bit. Um, and we're divvying up some of the news. Instead of talking about every free agent signing, every fucking trade, we got, like, what, four or five episodes of Stick and Rink left, including this one. So we're going to divvy up some of the news. And, you know, any topical stuff will work into the mix as well. But as always, we're going to start with our quick hits. And then we have... Uh, you know, some National Hockey League talk brought to you by our friends at AutoSmile. Our guest this week is Dave Tomlinson, former professional hockey player and now broadcaster. You can find him on Twitter at DaveTSN. All right, folks, and then we have questions from Twitter brought to you by Sprezzabox. Folks, make sure you use promo code STICKINRINK. Oh, yeah, for 15% off your monthly subscription. And we uh, we were so jam-packed last week that we didn't have time to... 
We didn't have time to run down the names of the game, so we're going to do that at the end of the show. Uh, we got some great names for next week's poll, so be sure to find the names of the game poll question every week on Twitter at StickInRinkPod. All right, Dylan, without further ado, let's get in to the quick hits. There to bring us the lowdown, fresh off a of Big Apple hoedown, where there was a corned beef on rye throwdown. It's showdown. Um, I thought of this today, and I was going to just bring bring it to the National Hockey League portion of the show when we just kind of get into the ins and outs of uh, the NHL and any news uh, that arises there. But hey, we might as well throw it in the quick hits because I found an article that sort of backs up my point um, in regards to Jake Gardner and how he could actually be a solid option for the Montreal Canadiens on defense. I don't see why not. I mean, they do need some help on defense, and they're they're making some moves to show that they they're serious about making the playoffs. You know, they're to the time to rebuild is not now they're, they're obviously past that phase if they were ever in it. And, uh, you yeah, know, they af- kind of always just treaded yeah. know, the no plan plan Mark. Benjamin. And honestly, after this whole Sebastian Ajo thing, which we're going to get into a little bit later, I think they had to make, uh, or, or they have to make some sort of big move still. Well, I mean, there's still a, more to come. Well, yeah, they have a vacant slot on the roster, be it on defense or at forward because Sebastian Ajo was obviously going to kill it and provide offense. But Hey, if you can, you know, find someone on defense who's going to, you know, help your team in the same um, fashion, maybe not in the same area, but still going to help the team get better and improve, then you want to make that deal. Mark Bergevin, I mean, he cleared up cap. So either they make another run at an RFA. Like, wouldn't it be crazy if the Montreal Canadiens gave Marner an offer sheet? Like, how nuts would that be? No, that that would be unreal. And it, I guess I wouldn't put it past him because Bergevin showed that uh, he's he's got the balls to do it. They definitely need more on defense, though, so I could 100% uh, see that. I mean, Jordy Ben now you know, signed with the Vancouver Canucks, so they lost a decent defenseman. I mean, he plays, obviously, that old-school, rough-and-tough two-way role, but for the Montreal Canadiens, 22 points last year, five goals. Hey, so not bad. They are losing 22 points coming from the back end. And, and a guy who played decent minutes on that team, too. I mean, let's... So look at that. Let's not look past that. And let's be honest, folks. Their best two defensemen right now are Shea Weber and, dare I say it, Jeff fucking Petrie. Oh, God. I Jeff, hate Jeff Petrie. Jeff Petrie. That's, that's why I'm so thrown off right now. They have some, mixing, up, mixing up my words because of Jeff Petrie. There you go. I mean, they have some young players. Noah Yulson, uh, uh, you know, Victor Mete. Victor Mete's not a point getter. You know, they, no. they need, he's a good young defenseman, but he's not a point getter. Yeah, uh, the Montreal Canadiens definitely need some puck moving. Um, ability coming from the back end, and that's why I think Jake Gardner would would fit right in. And hell, if they sign him for a digestible contract, five point five six million dollars, maybe even because it doesn't look like he's getting a lot of offers, then maybe they still have space to make a trade or bring in someone else. You know, a secondary scorer. And you know what's going to fit right in as well in Vancouver is Paul McCartney's new merch. Oh. It's outstanding, isn't it, Dylan? It's, I mean, I, I haven't seen merch like this before where, where an artist really takes the sports team and, and, and works their own stuff into it. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not that in tune with, uh, I don't know if I'm wrong here. Well, no, I mean, we don't see it often. I mean, it, it definitely in the United States, we see it more like, sure. in, you know, in the States like Nashville, for example, when you're coming through Nashville, I'm sure. You know, I can imagine. Yeah. You know, th- things or New York or, um. Even St. Louis in regards to, you know, blues music and, and just part of the country in the South, I'm sure it happens. Hell, even Seattle, I've maybe seen it before, but we don't see it often. Mm-hmm. And especially in Canada. And it's awesome that Paul McCartney, folks, and I'm actually, uh, I posted the link to Ryan Henderson, producer on Donnie the Moj on TSN 1040. He, re- he gave a, a good uh, tweet, and that's how I saw this. And he posted the pictures of it as well. 
it's outstanding that he captured the you know the important soul of the Vancouver sports market where maybe in the 80s it was the BC Lions where right now it's the Vancouver Canucks and old and young it appeals to and that's why I love it like I want I can't afford to go to a Paul McCartney uh, concert though I'm a huge Beatles fan but hell I want to try to get my hands on a jersey or a shirt yeah so essentially what he's done is take the jersey uh the stick and rink jersey and and throw a guitar in the logo instead of a microphone like the stick and ring podcast so i mean i think minds think alike exactly i think he saw the podcast logo and thought hey i could do that with a guitar called up gabe and they got it done hey well we are artists Maybe not on uh, old Paul's level. But yeah, check him out, folks. I mean, it, obviously, it's a visual. But we had to share it on here because it's A, stick and rink related. And he hit the ball out of the park on this one. Absolutely. Um, finally, um, we're going to get into some Tyler Myers talk since... Oh, and we some, are a little based, bit of Grimes talk. We, we are based in uh, Vancouver or the Vancouver region here in Vancouver Island. Um, but Tyler Myers and Quentin Grimes may be the first ever NHL and NBA brother duo in history i mean we know how's that how's that how's that for a stat oh how's that for a stat? This stat, guy. stat guy um we, we've seen you know the getzlaff brothers uh split nhl and, and cfl and that's very canadiana and we love it but uh myers younger half brother uh is actually a kansas transfer he's a former five-star recruit who's heading back home to to state of Houston for his sophomore year in the NCAA. I believe he only had a 9.5 uh, points per game. He didn't really have the, the season that you'd expect from a five-star recruit, but hey, he's 19 years old. Um, and chances are maybe if he excels this year or the year after, he could be a, even as high or as low, I guess, as a second-round pick in the NBA. And that would just be awesome. Now, quickly, Tyler Myers... If you folks don't know, um, he is Canadian. Um, his dad worked in oil and gas, and so he was actually born in Houston uh, as a result because his family was stationed there at the time. His parents split up, and he moved back. Well, he moved back to Canada. He moved to Calgary with his dad, continued to develop in hockey, and his mom remarried, and that's where Young Grimes comes into the picture. Um, Tyler Baby Myers, Grimes. Tyler Myers' mom is very tall because if you mm-hmm. look next to Quentin Grimes and actually uh, – you know her, her husband her now husband he's shorter than her so definitely uh this athlete gene seems to run in uh tyler or on the on tyler myers mother's side and uh wow th- this would be outstanding to see uh, i haven't you know i follow periodically ncaa basketball in the nba i mean i'm a sports fan all around and i haven't heard much of quentin grimes however if this happens this would be awesome and there's a video that uh, i'm going to post uh, that, that further gets into the story hey for the sake of this story i hope like hell he makes it yeah exactly there you go to you know to save this segment on the stick ring podcast <laughs> bitch grimes Okay. All right, some NHL talk. Let's get into it. All right, quickly, it's brought to you by our friends at AutoSmile. AutoSmile has been a staple in Nanaimo since the early 80s. They they started as a small detail shop and have grown into so much more. They're truly a one-stop shop. They do everything from window tinting, full vinyl wraps, expel paint protection, film spray, inbox liners, and have a full detailing service. So come down and see them for all tours, needs, or inquiries. They're located at... 3851 Shenton Road in Nanaimo, right behind the Steve Marshall Ford. You can give him a follow on all social media at 
Auto Smile Limited. Let's get in to some National Hockey League talk. That's not... What is this stuff on here? We're talking about saving the world and all that stuff. Let's talk hockey. Some free agent frenzy. And this will be part one of Stick and Rink's coverage of the free agent frenzy, Dylan. In, in no particular order, let's jump into it. <laughs> We're just going to dive right into it. Uh, you know what? We might as well start with the biggest contract of the day. And that was Artemi Panarin. And that was to be expected, I think. Yeah. I thought, honestly, it was either he was going to stay in Columbus or go to New York. Any signs yeah. with the Rangers, Dylan? Yeah, I it, I mean, the New York Islanders seemed like a possible destination as well. But that was like a 24-hour pop-up. So I don't know if maybe that was the, the agent throwing some uh, maybe false info out there. Because I didn't hear anything New York Islanders until literally 24 hours before free agency. No, that that's, that's true as well. But uh, I think he gets a pretty good contract. Ooh. I don't think he... I, I don't know. At the end of the day, I don't think he was going to stay in Columbus... The fact that it went on this long and this far, uh, yeah, I think he was exploring his options, and there there were some pretty damn good options out there, obviously. Yeah, I, I, I honestly agree with everything there. Like, I I understand he was exploring his options, but I still think Columbus was calling. I still think... Oh, they, they, probably, they put everything you know, they, they could, yeah. They were probably yeah. still taking meetings, and I'm sure Artemi Panarin was like, listen, like, if if it was in New York, maybe we could have talked, but apparently his family you know, is for family reasons as well. There's a good Russian community apparently in New York City and a, a ton of. Well, um, didn't you want to be near water too? Well, there you go. No, exactly. <laughs> he's, he's got it. He's on the coast. I didn't think Florida honestly was was realistic because they were going in a hundred percent on um, Bobrovsky, which we'll talk about momentarily, and especially with the news of Roberto Luongo retiring and how the Florida Panthers, you know, forced him into retirement versus, um, LTIR. It, it kind of just made sense. And with the ticket that we knew they were going to sign Bobrovsky for, there just wasn't room for Panarin who let's be honest with, with his story and just everything. He deserves his money. He does deserve more his money. than any player. I think in the national hockey league Dylan, that we've seen in a long time. This guy deserves his money. He's not some rich-ass Canadian boy or U.S. development prep school kid who, you know, had every opportunity to excel. This kid, you know, started out in the KHL, um, didn't come from an affluent family, and came into the NHL late in his career. Yeah, it's only his fourth season in the NHL, and he's he's at a point-of-game pace, so uh, how are you? Doesn't it feel like he's been in longer? It really does. Just well, because how established he was, you know, from the get-go, he comes in with the Chicago Blackhawks and puts up 77 points, 30 goals. Well, I know Connor McDavid only played half the season um, in 2015-16 when he came into the league respectfully, but Artemi Panarin, because he played that full season and perhaps even on his pace, he would have won the Calder um, at, what was it, 23 or 24 um, yeah, it must have been 23. In light of McDavid also putting up a point per game because he was that good, and, and that's surprising. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of a shame he sh- probably should have won because, you know, it's it's Connor McDavid. Oh, wait, sorry. No, he did win. Sorry, I was... Yeah, no, he I, did. He, I, did, I, he did. I don't know why I thought McDavid still won. No, 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 McDavid okay, didn't. Okay, Um, it, Shane's going to roast me. Oh, good. Well, that's the thing. It, it's I sometimes question myself as well because, like, you know, of course, Connor McDavid won. He was over point per game, but I believe he just played north of forty games because he got right. ramshackled into the boards um, on that, you know, ridiculous little shove. And when he's going high speed, I believe mm-hmm. it was a shoulder or something in that regard. Yeah, it was. It was a bad hit. It was an awkward one. All right, back to our Timmy Panarin though, and the New York Rangers. Uh, his ticket is at an eleven point six four million dollar annual average value that fits in right 
with New York plans as still a year and a half ago, they declared that they were going into a rebuild and, you know, stick taps to them. They're not our favorite franchise here on the stick ring podcast. Um, you can <laughs> kind of notice a trend here. We're not friendly towards all NHL teams. We have the teams that we're sour, uh, we're sour to, and usually the Rangers are one of them because like Toronto, they're the big dick swinging team in the States. Right. But beat us in 94. Exactly. They did their rebuild, right. And you have to just, give them stick taps you have to tip your cap to them a year and a half ago they promised to basically shed every everyone and all the key players they were going to ship out and they kind of did and they're still kind of doing it i mean they traded jimmy vc not too long ago and it's amazing how quickly they've been able to do this whole thing like you said year and a half ago and and look at them now i mean yeah, they're not going to be super competitive this year, but I think they're going to make a good step forward. I mean, they've added some good pieces. A guy like Panarin on the top end, I mean, their their top line is looking pretty damn good. I mean, Zibinijad and Zibin- Panarin on the top line. You got Kreider still on the second line. Let's see, you know, Capo Caco step, stepping oh. in. You know, well, so Leah Sanderson still yeah. needs to take another uh, step developmentally. So they have the pieces, and to top it off, you have an established goalie like Lungfist on the back end. Absolutely. And, you know, he's still playing at such a high level for his age. I mean, Buchnevich was fifth in scoring on the team last year. Um, sorry, fourth in scoring on the team last year with 38 points in 64 games. Um, they did trade uh, Jimmy VC, but they still have, you know, w- w- they got Jacob Truba too on the back end. So you said it, Dylan, they may not be super successful next season. I still think they could be a fringe playoff team, though. No, I think they could, and the, the East is sort of a wild card, I feel like. Oh, it really is. Uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, it's kind of hard to say. I feel like the entire league is a wild card just because of the parity. But, yeah, I, I could see More them, so than the West, for I, sure. I could see them being a bubble team. That's where I think they will be at the end of the year. Whether, whether they make it or not, I, I think, is maybe just uh, dependent on injuries. Yeah. And a little bit of luck. No, that's true. Uh, Artemi Panarin, one last word on him before we start firing through some more free agents. Um, Ryan Whitney said this on the, uh, the Spit and Chicklets podcast. Um, obviously, he was a former player in the National Hockey League, and he played in the KHL for a short period of time, and he said that this kid, Artemi Panarin, was sick and that he was going to be a bona fide NHL player because I believe it was his last season in the KHL um, when Ryan Whitney you know, had the his, wet dog had his stint there, and that was the year Artemi Panarin put up 62 points in 54 KHL games for St. Petersburg, uh, SKA, and Dylan. His NHL numbers right now 320 points in 322 games. Should have put 50 bucks on that wit. Uh, speaking of Russian players, we just mentioned him, Sergei Bobrovsky. He signs the second biggest ticket that we're going to talk about today, seven year deal. At, oh my god an annual average value of 10 million dollars that's a Woo! 70 mil, million dollar contract for 10 years for a goaltender uh, at 30 years of age doesn't that just scream buyout at some point oh yeah i mean uh and, and if, for a team that doesn't is, generate money for the league like uh, fuck you i, I know Florida. and you know this is not the first time florida's just dished out contracts like this i don't know if it's the fact that they have to you know, well, they you had, had to meet the... Uh, no, I don't think they had to meet the cap floor, but I think they had to get a goaltender. They had to get a goaltender, I, I guess so. But was the market that big? Were so many people point. knocking on the door for Bobrovsky, asking for his services, that Florida had to pay the $10 million? I don't believe so. I believe that that was just... 
How Nate, many how many other teams were willing to pay Bobrovsky eight million dollars? I don't I don't know if there was one other team. No, I, I, I can't know if there think, was. I cannot think of one off the top of my head other than Ottawa. Honestly, yeah, maybe Ottawa. And, and do because you want Ottawa to go there? To, Ottawa probably. <laughs> Honestly, did Ottawa probably offered him fourteen? <laughs> they <laughs> because they had to hit the cap floor, and they're like, "Fuck it, we'll buy yeah. it. We'll buy his ass out." Fourteen someday. for three years. Yeah, or some crazy like that. Yeah, even I, even five. Honestly. Yeah, I can see them doing that. Seven years. He's gonna be. Wait, how old is he now? He's thirty. Yeah, he's gonna yeah, be he's 30 thirty-seven. Maybe he's, is he thirty? I don't know if he's turning thirty-one, but regardless, thirty-seven, thirty-eight years old by the time this contract's done. It's, it's not gonna look good. Bobrovsky's had. He he's. He faces injuries every year. Yes, he plays through most of them because if you look at the last two seasons, three seasons, 63 games, 65 starts, 62. Like, he's played a ton of hockey. But that's what scares me. It's like, if he had... The Florida Panthers are going to have to have a solid backup to split time with him and just play him in the key games or else he's not going to last. No, and yeah, and you got to look at the last two, three years of the contract. And I'm sure the first two years will look fine. But once... You know, you're paying a guy $10 million and you're in a situation where you kind of have to split up the time evenly with another goaltender. That that doesn't look good. That's not very good cap management. No. Um, luckily, they're not a team that's cap strapped at the moment and they have rich owners. Again, the, the, the team itself doesn't generate revenue, but the, the owners aren't worried about dishing out money like this. Um, it does help the Florida Panthers. I mean, this is a unbelievable upgrade good hockey move yeah. yeah a good hockey move and maybe you know we say it for the canucks sometime maybe that's just what he was gonna sign for maybe the market didn't ask for it but maybe Bobrovsky was just stubborn yeah it's quite possible because we've heard that this is the money he's wanted for over a year he was like i'm getting carry price money <laughs> and i think that carry price contract you know taking nothing away from the best goaltender in hockey right now he no goalies were 10 million dollars i mean you're the one who stomps this the most from what I hear is no goalies worth that much money on a team. No. And I, I don't. And if, if there is a goalie that is worth $10 million, I don't think it's Sergei Bobrovsky. No, but even think in, in a hard cap system in league, in my mind, you can't, you there, can't there is no goalie that is worth $10 million. That that's such a huge chunk. Yeah. Look at, look at the teams who have won the cups in the last 10 years. I mean, there's very few teams that have paid their goalies more than $6 million, let alone 10. It's like almost 20% of your team. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It is. It is ridiculous. When uh, we, when our cap goes up to a hundred million, then sure. Maybe you can pay, maybe I'll reopen this argument, but like calm down here. And you know, and if I was Florida, I mean, yeah, I know you need a goalie, but what's waiting a little bit longer and not committing seven years. I mean, yeah, their their young stars are they they have a ton of mileage left on them, so it's not like they had to go for it now. But you said that the East is a wild card, so if they solidify the the goaltending, maybe upgrade on give themselves a chance. They do have a chance because yeah, Alexander Barkov is is probably top five player in the league. Yeah, I'd say so. He he's getting there. Um, the, this contract is uh sort sort of the opposite here. The Wayne Simmons contract that he signed with the New Jersey Devils, a one year deal for five million dollars. I don't know why people in the hockey world. Maybe it's just because you know we're in a Vancouver Canucks market and it's just so Vancouver heavy that there's not enough time to squeeze in some Wayne Simmons talk. Hell, everybody who who talks hockey, both on radio, podcasting, should be asking. And talking about this, because this is a very interesting case for Wayne Simmons. Um, we have our thoughts on it. And first and foremost, I don't think it's anything against his recent play. Sure, 
Upon being acquired by Nashville, he didn't do much at all. Three points in 17 games, literally nothing in the playoffs. Maybe he was nursing an injury. I don't remember. But for his time in Philadelphia on a bargain contract, Wayne Simmons has been one of the best power forwards in the National Hockey League. And I have to believe that he just want, wanted to uh, win now and, and, and see if he's a good fit with the New Jersey Devils and then maybe cash in on a more, I don't know, um, humble deal in the next year, long term. And I agree I agree, I agree completely with that, but it just kind of surprises me because... 100%. I mean, his last contract, he, he, yeah, he got paid. What was his Here, contract? I'll find it. I'll find it. Um, he, he didn't get market value. Let, let's put it that way. He could have made a lot more in his last contract. Because LA didn't know if he was a fighter, sorry, um, uh, a fighter or a top point guy. They didn't know if he could play on a Giroud yeah. line, for example, right? Yeah, no one really knew what this guy was. And he kind of, he, he showed everybody who he was. And, and that's a great power forward who can put up, you know, 20 goals, 50 points. 30 goals. I mean, 30 fuck. goals, but now he's 30 years old. I would have thought that Wayne Simmons would be looking for the three, four year deal or at this point. Even a five, man. Or like even a five year deal. Get him to 35. And I'm surprised that he couldn't get, you know, let's say a four year deal at, at 5 million per or 4 million per. I, I could see a team giving up that. Honestly, I think those options were out there. I think he maybe just took this to, to go with New Jersey because maybe Taylor Hall doesn't sign, resign next year. You know, maybe he doesn't. P.K. Subban, he only has three more years. So maybe he goes, hell, maybe I'll try my luck with this New Jersey team. They had cap to spend. Um, the, he will insulate these young players. I mean, hell, he's either going to play on a line with Nico Heischer or fucking Jack Hughes. Yeah, he's going to get points either way. He's going to score 30 goals this year yeah. as long as he stays healthy. I think he will. Yeah, and he's not the fastest player anymore, but he's not necessarily a slow guy. Like, north-south, he's not bad. Yeah, and I mean, if you're Wayne Simmons, it would be a smart move. You know, you see a young, up-and-coming team. You know, you get on with them and just look for an extension halfway through the season. And that will be the four-year, you know, instead of signing a five-year, he'll sign a four-year at $6 yeah. million, dollars, we'll say. Something like that. Or even just a, a casual five again. Maybe just a little quick little casual five. five five point five. I would say that. No, um, I th- I think it's a great deal for New Jersey, and I I love what they've done this off season. So, so I mean, Ray Shiro, this yeah. is Jersey Joe. I mean, he's oh, he's just blowing loads. <laughs> Total sploosh. Actually, yeah, gotta give him the sploosh. And whatever my equivalent of sploosh is, which I guess is just sploosh, only with semen. <laughs> so, Wayne Simmons, his last contract. Um, $3.97 million. Oh, bargain. Insane. He had a modified no trade for half of the deal or just over half the deal. But from 2013-14 to 2018-19, he only made $23 million. No, that's that's why you would expect a guy like that to sign a long what? term. But, but hey, but it I just respect shows, it. Exactly. It just shows what kind of person and hockey player, hell, what kind of athlete this guy is. He wants to win versus making even more million dollars because he'll know, I'm going to make another contract. I'm going to be fine. Some players, you know, obviously want to, and, and all the power to them, get as much as they can out of the sport in regards to earnings because you're putting your body on the line. I mean, Wayne Simmons, he's been banged up for years. Yeah, you know, he's play, he plays a rough game. He plays a rough game and he plays through injury, but this, like you said, is respectable. And he's been one of my pl- favorite players for so long. Like, he's truly an underrated National Hockey League player. He scored 30 goals various times throughout his career, and sometimes, you know, 28, or around that 30 mark. And, and no one talks about no it. No one talks about it. And it's not like he only played with Giroux. Like, he played with Voracek. Sometimes he'd play on that third line. Um, one last story before we move on, because I know we got to keep firing through here. Uh, NHL 13. On PS3, mm-hmm. there was a glitch with Wayne Simmons. And Dylan, when 
Wayne Simmons, he got a hundred and like forty-eight points for me Jesus one season. Jesus Christ! He was rated eighty-five. Didn't go up at all. <laughs> I think he was like well, twenty-four at the time, so he could have or twenty-five, so he could have. You know, his rating could have gone up. But there was some glitch because I put him with the Sedins. And he got 148 points simming that year. I tell you what, folks are scrambling so, to their PS3s right now. So, uh, yeah, NHL 13, the one we should rule on it. So I, I did a whole other team. I was LA, reacquired, and put him with Kopitar. He got 130, and he scored 59 goals. I was like, there's something wrong with this. Damn. boy Wayne Simmons, you deserve that contract, bud. Tips you put and up tricks. Kucherov numbers. Tips and tricks from at VI Sports Talk. There you go. There's my stats guy this week. <laughs> Hashtag stats guy. All right, next, Dylan. Uh, we got the Matt Duchesne <coughs> deal. Seven years with the Nashville Predators at $8 million per season. Hey, again, respect. I like this one. And I think Matt Duchesne was chasing um, the the best place to live rather than the, the best contract. Because the, you, you don't think New York sent him a $10 million offer. Absolutely. And multiple other teams, I'm sure, sent Jersey. Matt Duchesne some great... Yeah, Jersey must have sent them a good offer. And yeah, I respect that as well. I mean, you're you're considering other factors. And of course, he's looking at this Nashville squad and saying, hey, you know, these guys still have a chance. I, I'm a good center. piece, exactly. I fit right in to what they need. And uh, I, yeah, I, I think this is a great deal for both sides, honestly. Again, I, I think it's a fair market David value. David Boyle, man. Yeah. Yeah, he's sweating a little bit now because, you know, the team didn't win, let, let's be honest, in their prime window. Um, they can still remain competitive and open up another window, but he has to be careful. And this is one of those moves where you can fuck everything up if you sign the wrong free agent. I, I think this is a tremendous deal. Duchesne's 28 years old. He is He's in his prime, and I don't think he's going to slow down too much into his early 30s. And the fact that he is now that top center that Nashville's never had. I mean, Johansson taking nothing away from him. He's a second line center because his two-way game outweighs his offensive game. And Matt Duchesne, I have to say, his offensive game is, you know, is his forte. He drives play. He creates offense. He can create space for his other teammates in regard to his skill and just how quick he is out there. That's a top center in the league versus, you know, a great, great two-way center who, sure, can put up up to 30 goals, which, hell, we saw Ryan Kessler for the Canucks put up 41 season. But you know what I mean. But Ryan Kessler was still our second-line center that year. he's still the more two-way guy than he was a scorer, despite putting up all those goals. Yeah, we were depending on him to be the first guy. So I agree with that, and I think think at the end of the day, it is an improvement for the Nashville Predators. It is a step up. So they lost P.K. Subban, but let's be honest, they made up for the offense 100% in Matt Duchesne. And this gives, honestly, the opportunity... For uh for young players in Nash in Nashville to step in the lineup now because there wasn't room for for uh, the you know, the the Dylan Dubays for example yeah that's true and you know like Sorry, you said not Dylan Dubay that's Calgary I got it mixed up with um oh what's his name the young defender in Cal- I'll find it I'll find it. Uh, but but in, either way you know they they have to get young guys in there because like you said if they want to open up another window. That means you got to replenish with young guys. You can't just magically open up another window of the same roster and keep going like you well, have been. Well, Dante Fabro was actually there you a go. defender. Um, the Penticton V. The former name of the game, I think. BCHL. He played, uh, yeah, he plays junior hockey for the Penticton Vs in three years Boston University. We talked about this on the podcast last year. You know, he left Boston, declared up. Uh, uh, to be a professional, gotten four games with the Nashville Predators. So you just had declared bankruptcy. Scored a goal, no, quite the opposite, and actually played in 
the six Nashville Predators games, Dylan. So this kid, he's ready, and you have to you have to think that PK Subban out. Ryan Ellis now probably will get uh, more minutes, and Dante Fabro will come in. 21 years old, Coquitlam native. He's a BC boy, right-handed shot. Oh, man, 33 points in 38 games in his last year at Boston University. How are you? Yeah, I don't think Nashville has any problems on the back end anytime soon. David Poyle's probably the be- one of the best GMs in the National Hockey League, um, and he gets Matt Duchesne, who put up 10 points and five goals in 10 playoff games. And in the regular season last year, Matt Duchesne put up 70 points uh, combined with the Columbus Blue Jackets. And, um, wow. And, uh, Oh, Ottawa. Ottawa. Jesus We're already Christ. forgetting about Ottawa. I don't blame you. I, I kept thinking Colorado. I was like, no, he, he made another stop. Yeah. Well, he, Jesus, he folks. Didn't make, I'm just, it's funny. I'm just, the, I'm just not on it tonight. Well, no, it's not that. It's that we don't think of Matt Duchesne as an Ottawa center. Sure. He put up, his best season with starting uh, this last year with the Ottawa Senators, but with everything that happened with the storyline of Tampa Bay, it's like I think Matt Duchesne, I think Columbus. Yeah, no, I, or, I agree. Or the Avs because that's we grew up. You know, we, we that draft was uh, one of the first ones where we, when we really started watching hockey and like taking note. But either way, seventy points in seventy three games. No matter where he was, it doesn't matter, folks. I'll probably butcher it, but seventy three points. How are you? You think he puts up around 70, 80 points with Nashville? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, with guys like Philip Forsberg around him, Arvidsson, he's got he's got some talent to play with. Well, that's the thing. How how lucky are Arvidsson and... This is what they needed in exactly, my Exactly. They needed someone who could give them the fucking puck, someone who's offensive first. Mm-hmm. That's what I love. And speaking of offensive first, let's move into this next signing, which you absolutely love. Uh, Joe Pavelski. Three years with the Dallas Stars at an annual average value of $7 million. This is a great, great deal for the 34-year-old and for the Dallas Stars. who They signed a ton of veterans to help bolster their young guys and increase offense. Because I believe the Canucks scored more goals uh, last season than the (laughs) Dallas Stars. I I think Dallas was like... Three oh eight or something, and the Canucks were three twenty two. And it's kind of you know compared to the season before for the Dallas Stars, they were known as an offense first kind of team. Well, they, so they've they really switched, switched things over hundred percent because now they're defensive first, but they have to fill in that offense somewhere. And you love this Joe Pavelski signing. Yeah, I think they got an absolute steal with Joe Pavelski for the simple fact that it's only a three year contract. Oh. You're getting him until he's thirty seven. He put up thirty eight goals last year. I think you can expect 30-goal seasons every single year of this contract. Yeah, and even if it's 25. That, give, at $7 million at that point, if the cap goes up a little bit, hey, that's not that bad. Little Joe. Little Joe. The little Joe that could. Wow. Um, I mean, again, congratulations to, to Joe Pavelski. This is a great contract for him. And, man, let's quickly talk about the Dallas Stars. I mean... As uh, in the next few weeks, when we continue Stick and Rink Radio and the last uh, couple episodes of Stick and Rink Podcast, yes, episode 100 is going to be part one and part two. We're divvying that up. We will talk a little bit more about the Dallas Stars, but I mean Corey Perry, they signed. They they filled in other spots as well. I mean, because they're such a good defensive team with this, you know, with Pavelski potentially another 30 goals. Do you think this team actually is now a, a legitimate threat in the West? Because last year, you know, it was. It wasn't easy to play the Dallas Stars, but it wasn't even for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Miro Heiskin was a beauty to watch, and it was hard to score goals, but it wasn't a team that was like super threatening. Now I think they may be a little threatening. I think they are. You know, with 
Pavelski adding 30 to 35 goals. I, I think it's realistic to say he can put that up. Corey Perry comes in. Let's say he puts up 15 goals, 20 goals. You, you just added 60 goals to your roster, just like that with two players. And I, I think that that means a lot, especially for a team when you consider, you know, they didn't score a lot of goals last year, and that's really what held them back. When they got some depth on the defense, I believe they signed Matt uh, Sekera. Not Matt. Andre Sekera. Andre Sekera. Sekera. Matt, oh, Matt Sekeris. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. So some depth on defense. Always on Isha's mind, Matty Poo. You said the Lord for the taking. Um, but yeah, they pretty much got their offense off of the their key three players in Tyler Sagan, Alexander Radulov, and Jamie Benn because the fourth scorer was uh, John Klinberg at 45 points and the ne- and then Miro Heiskinen, hell, Essa Lindell. The next forward on that list was uh, Radic Fax, who's a great two-way forward, but he only had 30 points. So how crazy is that? Surpassed by three defenders who outscored him on a defensive first team. So... There you go. That basically shows the Dallas Stars needed offense, and they addressed that. All right. Vancouver fans, I know you're going to want to hear this one. Tyler Myers has signed a five-year contract worth $6 million per season with the Vancouver Canucks. All right, Dylan. We're Vancouver Canucks fans, and as Vancouver Canucks fan, I ask you, are you happy with this deal? A, because it's not $8 million per season for seven years, or because it's a good deal it I, I like it because it's a good deal uh i think tyler myers everyone's saying this is an overpayment and i don't even necessarily think it is alex edler just got six million dollars that's what i was just thinking is tyler myers worse than alex edler is that what you people are trying to tell me honestly <laughs> the analytics people will tell you yeah that, well don't. they can go fuck themselves yeah because they haven't told me a stick breaking ratio i'm the one who figured we're, that we're still shit waiting out. for that stat Stat guys. <laughs> All right, but anyways, six million dollars for Tyler Myers, a top four defenseman, is very reasonable in my opinion. That's that's what you would expect to pay, especially on July first. The, the the fact that we paid market value, market value that for for the top defenseman essentially in this uh, free agent market that we only paid him six million dollars. I mean. Uh, that that great job, Jimbo. Jimbo Slice really pulled through. And you here. know what people he made a full on sandwich. Dylan, you know what people aren't talking about, and this is pissing me off. Do you guys know how much he made last year on an annual average value? He made five point fucking five. There you go. He got a five hundred thousand dollar raise, and you guys are freaking out about this. What if they acquired him via trade somehow? You know, Tanev for Myers. Would you guys be pulling your hair out we're paying him the same amount of money pretty much that he'd be making if he was under contract before and yeah people say oh he's not a top four defender sure that's, when no that's bullshit when he's buried in uh behind bufflin truba and, and uh morrissey he's not a top four defender of course not so someone's got a man the, you know, <laughs> yeah, the bottom pairing exactly. of the defense but I, on I, this team yes he is and some people say well if you put a player in a role he's not comfortable with and maybe up his minutes he won't be as good sure that's a good argument but i think we're not going to give him more than 20 minutes which is what the fuck he was playing with the winnipeg jets because i think now doing the vancouver canucks are just going to divvy up the lines equally because why not yeah it'll be troy stetcher and fucking tyler myers or troy stetcher and name your defender there shoes who, well, I don't think Hughes and Stetcher will be together. It'll be right, H- right. Hughes and Edler, let's say. Yeah. Um, 
uh, Stetcher and Myers, and then whoever in Tanev, like whoever's that other defender on the team. Yeah, you know, the who do they add? Fantenberg. Yeah, you know, they got a couple other depth pieces. Yeah, for sure. I know I'm missing someone. But... No, but you know, it just irritates the shit out of me that coming into this, everyone would sit, was saying the Canucks are going to give Tyler Myers eight million dollars over seven eight years, and this is too much, too long. Yada yada yada, and it finally comes out. Six million dollars for five years, and they're still complaining about what? What did you think Tyler Myers was gonna sign his big ticket for four million dollars to come than, to Vancouver? Less than his cap hit last you, season. You guys are you know, People complaining about this are a joke. They it's, really are. It's foolish because we needed to shape reshape our defense they went after what they thought was the best defender sure again you can argue that that's jay gardner i will listen to that the canucks clearly did not believe that and we've never had a problem with tyler myers sure he's not he, he's not the best defenseman out there he's no fucking bobby Orr, but he's he's a top four defender top four we add some size second pairing defender size yep. he can skate he has more offensive upside than his defense and that's okay i'm okay with that you know what? If he goes out there and plays worse than Louis Erickson at $6 million, then I'll listen to you guys complaining. No, only if he plays worse than Eric Gabranson. Yeah, yeah that's People true. People saying, oh, we basically got Gabranson. Shut the fuck up. Oh, this guy God. puts up points. He puts up 20 to 30 points every See, season. Eric Gabranson put up a season happens. high of like 17 points when he was like 21 in Florida. Shut the fuck up. This is what happens when I go on Canucks Twitter. I just oh. get so pissed off. Well, that's why we're starting to follow Minnesota fans. Because yeah. St. Paul, we love you. We love you, baby. We're all yours. Uh, let's, Jamie, let's... or it's not Jamie Ben. Jordy Ben was the other defender that I was missing out of there on a that's right. amazing that's right. deal. You're right. And we will get into that. Uh, not today because we want to cover still some of the That's the a big solid moves. defense. But yeah, so quickly, let's run it down before we move on to <sighs> Toronto. Yes, we got the <laughs> Toronto Maple Leafs. The center talk. of the universe. Um, don't worry. We'll, we'll only give them a small chunk. We, we're stretching this Vancouver Canucks portion, right? Oh, chunky poo. So we got, um, what did I say? Uh, Hughes and Edler. We got Myers and Stetcher. And we got Jamie Ben and Tyler and uh, sorry, not Jamie Chris ben. Tanev, Jordy Ben and Chris Tanev, or whoever the defender the, is, because Chris Tanev may, and yeah, may be on the way out, yeah. and maybe down the road you will levy. But that it, looks pretty man, good that's, for the next that's not bad. for the next two years. Is that not a defense you would be okay with? No, because I'm, Edler's going to be there for another two years. As far as a team that's competing for a wild card spot, I I think that's a serviceable defense. I it's really pretty, do. It's pretty big now because Edler's a big guy. Yeah. Um, Tanev is a, a pretty big dude. Uh, Jordy Ben is fucking yeah. huge, and Tyler Myers is six eight. How are you? I'm. I kind of like this. I, I I like it. I mean, ride the pod. You you got a decent team moving forward here. I think things go. are looking good there, but. Um, also, those who are covering the uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs on the Hockey Podcast Network, they oh, have hungry for hockey. Hungry for hockey. They have a hell of a season ahead. They got a hell of a summer too, preparing for it. As the Toronto Maple Leafs sign Andreas Janssen and Kasperi Kapanen, two players I did not think would still be around after free agency. I thought one of them would one hundred percent be moved. Andreas Johnson signs a four year deal. Annual average value of $3.4 million. And Kasperi Kapanen, a three-year deal, an annual average value of $3.2 million. Neither of them have any clauses in regards to not being traded. So we still, this summer, Dylan, could see one potentially be moved because Dubas just had to get a contract going um, because they have the clear, clear space for Marner. But they clearly wanted to at least have these guys locked up in case maybe they can't get Marner or 
that they can fit them all together. I, I think it was smart to at least get them signed, and these deals are very uh, affordable. It's it's, it's crazy. Al- it's almost sickening that they got such good deals on these guys. I mean, I I hate I hate to do this. I hate to pull fucking Jay Beagle into this. But they're oh, getting don't do it, they're Dylan. getting Kasperi Kapanen for only two hundred k more than what we're paying Jay Beagle. The, think about that for a second. I, I mean, want, I that's a to. hell of a contract. MVP, this is my favorite player. You're talking <laughs> MVP about MVP Jay Beagle. Pay the guy telling me ten million dollars if I could. Uh, I mean, I get it. You know, all jokes aside, and I, I still fucking love Jay Beagle. I think Vancouver rips on him too much, but you're right. Jay Beagle's not a $3 million player. Kasperi Kapanen, respectfully, isn't a $3 million player either. He's a 4 to $5 million player. They're, you know, looking at their combined deals, these two players are only coming to $6.6 million. Like you said, I wouldn't have been surprised if Kapanen asked for $5 million. Yeah. But they, they're, they're essentially getting two players for the price of one here. That's what I'm trying to get at. And, and two just, birds stone at once there you go i mean that's the the theme of the show how are you trail um in 78 games this year with the toronto maple leafs Kasperi kapanen respectable 20 goals and 44 points and he uh put up two points in the seven playoff games against the boston bruins and uh Janssen also is a hell of a player he's a little bit older Kasperi kapanen 22 years old he came over in the uh uh, what was it? The Phil Kessel trade, actually. So he was, a, he was originally a draft pick of the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, developed with the Marlies, and now obviously he's having great success with the Maple Leafs. He was quoted saying that, you know, he wants to be a Maple Leaf more than anything, and you can see that with the contract. Uh, Janssen, they give the extra year just because he's a little older, Dylan, but he's had a hell of a season as well. I know he's he has no defensive game to him, but he he can put up points in the NHL and that's worth something. Yeah, no, in his first full NHL season, he put up 20 goals, 23 assists, 43 points in uh, 73 games. So yeah, the fact that they get a guy locked up like that for four years at, at a very cheap price, man, Dubas just, just nailed it out of the park with those contracts. Well, the thing about Dubas too, he's very familiar with these two players because both of them developed with the Marlies. And it's, it's interesting to see. And I'm not surprised with the whole... Uh, Shanna plan, but the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, their their top draft picks, you know, Marner and Matthews, Nylander aside, their other players, they've they let them sizzle. They let them marinate in the AHL for quite a while. You know, Johnson until he was 23, 24 years old, Kapanen, Going the old Detroit route. That's what I'm saying. And Brendan Shanahan, Detroit, clearly well, learned a few boo. things there. And uh you it's it's an outstanding plan if you you know, can do it if you have all those picks. And again, I hate to, I hate to tip my cap to the Maple Leafs, but that these well, we're about to do it some more. This was, yeah, was, this is an outstanding signing. And as we move on to some trades in the National Hockey League, this is the one we're probably going to dissect the most. And fuck, this was a, you know, I, I think both teams won this trade, but Toronto, it was just a better move for their team. And uh, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you take it away from there. All right, folks, the Colorado Avalanche acquire forward Nazem Kadri, defenseman Callie Rosen, and a third round draft pick in the 2020 draft from the Toronto Maple Leafs in exchange for Tyson Berry, forward Alexander Kerfoot, and a sixth round draft pick in the 2020 draft. I think you're going to want to hear this. Um, so Alex Kerfoot, right now, it's important to note that he uh, he is exercising his arbitration rights. So I imagine he's going to come in at you know three point five four million dollars. So we just have to think, you know, the Maple Leafs they have potentially another 
four million dollar player coming in you know three to four million dollar player coming in on the books and i think upon signing that they'd only have eight million dollars left to sign marner so that's someone's got to go someone's got to go be it nylander or one of these young players that they uh, just signed in kaspinen or kapanen and, and jonson um but back to the trade it is outstanding if the maple leafs can keep them all so Joe Sackett clearly had his reasons for this trade because if you look at the value, like straight snowblower up, Joe, just snowblower Joe. Do you want to just tell that story quick? <laughs> One year Joe Sackett couldn't play. Um, I think he missed like 30, 40 games. He missed a long time because he he chopped off a part of his finger in a snowblower while he was playing for the Colorado Avalanche. Oh, Trying to clear out that snow and it just turned right on. It's like, it's like sticking your hand in a lawnmower blade. You just don't do it. See, uh, he's that Southern Canadian boy. Doesn't doesn't know how to work a snowblower. I guess Like so. those Northern Canadians. Burnaby uh, up, Joe. Up in PG. Yeah. Prince George, if, if you don't know. <laughs> Old snowblower <laughs> you Joe. You don't want to know. <laughs> there you go, folks. So it, it actually, now now that I said it, I didn't realize, but it, it could have sounded really bad. Just snowblower Joe. <laughs> I mean, oh. that's why I wanted you to tell a story. Yeah, about sure. All right. Um, so he had his reasons, I think, for acquiring Nazem Kadri. Clearly, the Colorado Avalanche, they don't have a second line center. I mean, they traded uh, Carl Th- Now Kadri is going to clear out the snowblower. Risk his hand. Alexander Kerfoot, they sent off, obviously, in that deal. But I like this. Behind Nathan McKinnon, this is their bona fide center. He, you know, had some minutes and his role diminished a little bit last season. That is Nazem Kadri with the Toronto Maple Leafs because they signed John Tavares um, and he split time at the top center role with Austin Matthews as their one-two punch. So with this team, he'll have the opportunity to, you know, be able to to demonstrate his offensive game a little bit more and be as gritty as possible because let's be honest, there's not a lot of that here on that Colorado Avalanche team. We saw a dip in his production last year as a result of being on that third line, Dylan. No, uh, yeah, we saw a dip in production. He went down to 44 points, but realistically, I still think this guy is a 50 to 60 point guy. I think he'll be good for the Colorado Avalanche. Great contract. Great contract. $5.5 yeah, $5 million. That, that's true. And, and just like you said, they need to add some grit. Yeah, they have some great young guys, some great speed. But there's, there's an element missing to their game. And, and you know, that, that was evident when they were in the playoffs. They, they, just, they just couldn't match the intensity. So I, I hope Nazem Kadri kind of addresses that. Hopefully he doesn't uh, get suspended in the playoffs like he has been in the last two years because that would be count, kind of counterintuitive to uh, acquiring a playoff player. Did you hear about uh, Sakic's quote when he was asked that question? Like, what, what about um, Nazem Kadri, you know, and his, and his playoff antics? Did you hear no. his answer was? I guess we just have to uh, not play Boston. <laughs> there you go. It was, oh, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something, yeah, like, something that. like that. That's good. That's good. Good um, old Burnaby Joe. Snowblower Joe. So Avalanche also acquired defenseman uh, Kale Rosen. Now, from what I believe... I, I believe it's Callie. Callie? Okay, Callie. There's, uh, I was just going to say, from what I believe... I don't know. He should, have, he should have just taken a back there. He, he was lost for words, folks. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that, like, I don't know much about this player. And from what I have heard, you know, he was a depth player in the Marley I don't think system. I've ever seen you at a loss for words like that. It's a good thing we aren't on Facebook Live. Uh, 25 years old. He's not a prospect anymore. Like I said, he's been marinating with the Marlies, um, kind of how we've seen uh, them operate there in Toronto. 
but 46 points in 54 games in the AHL. That's an improvement of 22 in 62 games in his first season in North America. He uh, developed in Sweden for the Vakwa Lakers, actually, in the SHL, and uh, he didn't do that well in the playoffs for the Marlies last season, but I think he could be a serviceable defenseman at the very least, and, and he's puck moving, which is nice, and so he, if he makes the roster, he'll fill in for that vacant spot. He's not going to replace Tyson Berry at, by any means. You know, he's a almost a point-per-game defender, one of the best puck-moving defenders in the game right now, but I get it. They they filled the spot, they got that second-line center, and um, they, they improved their draft position. Yeah, and it, it totally makes sense. I mean, sometimes you just got to pay the price to fill that spot that you need. I mean, sometimes it just doesn't come it's easy. It's not easy to get a second-line center in the National Hockey League. Especially one with grit that can, that can add some other exactly. you know, intangibles to your team. Uh, but you know what? The Toronto Maple Leafs weren't done with that trade. No, um, but but uh, quickly but before we get into that, because it's, it's in regards to the defense as well. Toronto, they 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 reworking their defense, and we'll talk about that in this next trade. But I just want to say, folks, and Dylan and I were talking about this before recording. I want I do want to caution you, Toronto Maple Leafs fans. Tyson Berry, he's looking for max money, which is why Burnaby Joe wasn't going to sign him. They weren't going to keep him. Snowblower Joe, sorry, because they have the likes of Kale McCarr and Bowen Byram now coming up who, you know, let's be honest, can be top defenders and uh, they have to pay other players soon. So they weren't going to commit to Tyson Berry. But Dylan, I don't know if the Toronto Maple Leafs can commit to him either past this season. So we'll see what happens here. Again, value per value, Toronto won this deal, but I think Snowblower Joe... um, Maybe down the road is going to be the winner of this trade. But like you said, in regards to the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're making more moves to address their defense. All right, folks, you're going to want to hear this. The Ottawa Senators acquired defenseman Nikita Zaitsev, forward Connor Brown, and forward Michael Carsoni from the Toronto Maple Leafs for defenseman Cody Ceci, defenseman Ben Harper, forward Aaron Luchuk and a third-round draft pick in the 2020 draft. So, clearly a dump. They, they needed to get rid of Nikita Zaitsev. He no longer wanted to play for Toronto. And let's be honest, Kyle Dubas, he's going skill, 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 puck-moving uh, defenders first. Puck. This page is going to fuck everything. I hate pages that do that. There you go. We're still good. And the likes of Nikita Zaitsev, who played a defensive game and very uniquely a defensive game for, you know, developing in Russia. Um, he had to go and they had to add a sweetener in this deal, which um, I, I think was interesting. And Connor Brown, uh, Michael uh, Carsoni, or Carconi, former Utica Comet. He, he's a solid AHL player. Um, Just I, don't call him late for dinner. I do think, though, that the Toronto Maple Leafs, despite you know, clearly dumping the contract, which, let's be honest, it's not a bad contract. It's just it, Zaitsev is not necessarily a top-four player. They got a potential top-four player. I think Cody Ceci is sorry, a top-four uh, top defender. I, I really think Cody Ceci is, and I know he... Uh, I think he's a free agent in the next coming years as well. So again, Toronto may have to deal with that down the road, but I, I kind of like this deal again for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we, we keep saying it, it's killing us here to keep giving them stick taps and, to, and, and, and for us to tip our caps to them. But 
you know, two great signings and two great trades back to back. I mean, damn, Dylan, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's it's kind of a curious move on the part of the Ottawa Senators. I mean, you got this young defenseman in Cody Cece. Why why are you giving him up for Nikita Zaitsev? But anyways, back back to the point of Kyle Dubas and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, they I feel like they've absolutely killed it on every single deal so far. Obviously, the big one is Mitch Marner and that's we're gonna see what happens later in the summer with that one they have to make another trade they have to clear some more cap so let's see how well they do in the next couple moves whatever those may be but at this point looking at what they've done they've done a hell of a job I think it's just this was a cap dump I think uh you know Connor Brown probably made what north of two million dollars um Nikita Zaitsev and Connor Brown collectively help Ottawa get to the floor and um Cody Cece He's going to have to be paid down the road, but I don't have Cap Friendly up in front of me uh, in regards to Cody Cece, but I'm sure he makes around you know, three. I can't imagine he makes more than four. And then uh, the other players are obviously AHL players, so there's no extra money coming back to Toronto. So I believe that, you know, again, they got a young player, a decent defend a defender, and they shed some Cap. So again, they did exactly what they wanted. And, uh ugh. Fucking Toronto Maple Leafs. All right, we're, we're done we're with done. Toronto. We're, we're done. done. We're done. done. Moving on to the Buffalo Sabres. They acquire forward, or actually former Buffalo Sabre, Jimmy Vesey, uh, from the New York Rangers for a third-round draft pick in the 2021 draft. You might remember Buffalo actually acquired Jimmy Vesey's rights in an attempt to sign him, and Jimmy Vesey decided not to sign with the Buffalo Sabres, and now the Buffalo Sabres reacquire Jimmy Vesey. So how about that? And and that was after he didn't want to sign with the original team that drafted him, the Nashville Predators. So what, what goes around is all around. It goes around is all around. <laughs> Rand could have said it any hey, better Ricky. myself. Um, I like this move for the Buffalo Sabres. Clearly, uh, what goes around came around for Jimmy VC. The kid did, uh, I believe, three or four years of Harvard. He, It's time to get paid, and he hasn't earned a ton of money based on his play. For the New York Rangers, I believe he's a 30-point player in the last couple seasons. He hasn't put up more. Uh, he hasn't even come really close to 40 points. It's been like low 30 range. And he hasn't dazzled um, despite putting up outstanding numbers in college. So maybe this is a good fresh start. The New York Rangers clearly weren't pleased with him. And uh, I'd imagine that this kid now is really going to try to put the work in, take advantage of the skill that may, he may be surrounded by in Buffalo because, fuck, he, he has to make his money. He has to put up some points. This kid probably wants to get paid. No, they have good young talent in Buffalo, and I, I think he's going to get the chance to do it. He's between a 15 to 20 goal guy at the moment. And, you know, w- with some young, talented guys around him, uh, Casey Middlestat, uh, you know, maybe he gets some time with Jack Eichel. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how their layout's going to be. But, hey, I could see him putting up a 20-goal season. And he's not young anymore. I mean, I keep thinking of him as this young, you know, former, you know, just out of college player. He's played for the New York for three seasons. He's 26 years old. And yeah, like I said, a career high 35 points. And that was last season. The two years prior, 28 and 27. Never more than 17 goals. Yeah, and that's that's why the, the price was only a third-round draft pick in the 2021 draft. And he's not young anymore. I mean, like Chris Kreider, who he's a bona fide NHL player. He's a second-line player. He puts up 50 points. Chris Kreider's 26 years old. Jimmy Vesey's not a prospect anymore. The New York Rangers, kudos to them. They get him out of town. Get out of Dodge. Get out of Dodge. And you know who else got out of Dodge? Phil Kessel. Oh. He got the hell out of Pittsburgh. 
the Arizona Coyotes acquired him along with defenseman Dane Burks. What and, a name. What a name. And a fourth round draft pick in the 2021 draft from Pittsburgh for forward Alex Galchenyuk and defenseman Pierre Olivier Joseph. Man, I like this trade for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're, I mean, they're a team that's always cap heavy. They gave up Phil Kessel, who you know has a heavy ticket there, and they got Alex Galchenyuk, who, let's be honest, he's not going to replace the scoring that a Phil Kessel does, but this guy can put up points. He's never really been given a great opportunity to play center and uh, and thrive. And hell, the Pittsburgh Penguins, if they want to put him in a third-line center role or put him in power play on the wing, I feel like they can do that. And they get a young player who's blossoming right now in junior in Pierre-Olivier Joseph who can move the puck from the back end and he's going to he's when he grows into his body he's going to he's going to be big his brother plays for the Tampa Bay Lightning he's a forward but man Matthew Joseph he was a he was a pain in the ass for everyone to play with in this the younger Joseph plays more of a fluid puck moving style you know he was a former uh, a late first rounder um but when he grows into his body dude he's gonna be a bruiser as well so I think this was an outstanding trade for the Pittsburgh Penguins but talking about Arizona they got better yeah, I mean Arizona picks up thirty goals. I mean they just almost in the ins- bank in the bank added that to their roster, and it, it's nice having a top end guy like Phil Kessel. Uh, you know, and I think Phil Kessel wanted to go to Arizona, and I think that that says a lot too. That uh, you know, a top end guy wants to go to a place like the Coyotes. There's a history working with Rick Tockett too, head coach of. Uh... The Arizona Coyotes. So There's some great hot dog stands there. In, oh, they're in really Glendale, excited for so. that. Um, I just heard that as Phil Kessel does, he uh, he wore out his welcome in Pittsburgh. There, I don't know what article it is, and I I promise I will find it and I'll put it on the quick hits next week. But I was hearing on the radio that there was an article that came out. I don't think it was the Athletic, so I will try to find it. Um, so uh, hopefully it's a, f- a free article or a blog that we don't have to pay for. Um, but. In the article, it cited nine different sources that had separate, not so good uh, incidences, stories, little run-ins, for lack of a better term, um, with Phil Kessel. So, and that was in the recent, this last year. Um, he, he, he only jives with a select few in the roster, and even on the ice. Apparently, he was him and Sullivan, the head coach uh, for the. Pittsburgh Penguins would go at it if he was on any other line other than Malkin's. So he wore out his welcome after uh, his time with the Pittsburgh Penguins, but you got to give it to the guy. Two Stanley Cups. Yeah. And he was a huge part of that. He helped Pittsburgh, uh, you know, go over the edge and become uh, almost a dynasty team in the the last five years. And for Arizona too, I mean, you get a guy named Dane Burks. I I mean, even if he doesn't make it as an NHLer, he, he can do something with a name like that. Man, Arizona's going to be good. Last year, they suffered so many injuries, and they still almost made the playoffs. Yeah, that's a good point. They got, now, if they can stay healthy, they have a few younger players who are now coming into the lineup, um, and they get, like you said, 30 goals in the bank. How are you? All right, there are more trades we want to get into, but we're running out of time, folks. So we will feature them next week on Stick in Rink, episode 100, part one, or Stick in Rink Radio. We have two more radio sessions, six hours total more of Stick and Rink Radio, and you best believe we will be diving into the rest of the trades and free agent frenzy then. Last piece of NHL news, though, we want to get into before bringing on the names of, or sorry, getting into our guest segment here on the Stick and Rink podcast. 
we saw our first offer sheet in years. I believe since Ryan O'Reilly Shea, and Shea Weber. Because they were around the same time. It's been time. a while. It's been a while. Uh, Sebastian Ajo gets offered a $42.27 million contract by the Montreal Canadiens. Um, turned out to an average annual value of around 8.5 per season for five years. So that would make Ajo an, un, uh, an unrestricted free agent at 26. And, uh, and a very wealthy man. And he signed that deal with the Montreal Canadiens, which meant that the Carolina Hurricanes had seven days to match said offer. If they chose not to, they would have gotten because of the way, um, and, and we've retweeted this, um, that the the offer sheet compensation is structured. They were in, I believe, the third tier, and they would have only had to give up a first, a second, and a third round pick. Which just is just not acceptable. It's for, not enough. For a player like Sebastian Ajo. Exactly. Not enough at all. So if it was, I believe it was 200 or, or 400,000 more, it would have been in that next threshold, and that would have right. been two first rounders, a second rounder, and, and a third. Then maybe you consider, but still for a player like Sebastian Ajo, I don't know. Even even at that second tier, I think I'm he's a, I'm, I'm matching. He's going to be elite. I think he is. He's he's going well. He's going to be an all star. He's on the Raleigh. doorstep right now. Yeah. Yeah, and he's developed every season. I believe his first season he came in around forty points, and then the next season sixty, and then now to what whatever it was just eighty. I believe it was eighty points. Yeah, but hey, it's it's nice to see some offer sheets getting thrown out there. It's it's a tactic that's not used enough, in my opinion, and I guess it's because hey. I mean, the team's probably just going to sign whatever deal, but if you really want to put do. them in handcuffs and, and give them a deal that they might not like, I mean, I guess that's another tactic. Well, we saw that with uh, the Nashville Predators and the Philadelphia Flyers. Shea Weber yeah. signed that monster deal with Philly. David Poyle, not impressed. Well, no. and, and it came to, you know, Shea Weber eventually getting moved. Yeah, it did. And, uh... I wonder how that really played a part. In it probably the long-term soured vision. things a little bit. It like you're not did. a legacy player anymore. You chose, you know, to leave from I, the Philly scumbags. Now I don't think that's going to be the case with Aho because hell, he's 20 years old. It's not like he, you know, sweat and bled for your team. You know, he, I'm sure he bled and sweat a bit, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, he's only he just went through an entry level deal here, um, and 8.5 million dollars that's probably around the money he was going to get at the end of negotiations anyways. What I don't understand is why did, if Montreal was, you know, cleared cap and was going to go balls to the wall here, why didn't they offer him more money? Why, why didn't they get into that bigger tier? Because they'd have to expect that they were just going to match. And now they have a gap on the team. Like we mentioned earlier in the forward position or on defense, it doesn't really matter. They have to fill in a player or that position anyways but now they've kind of lost out on an elite spot unless they do something in the next couple weeks yeah no i mean it's a great point and i guess the answer is is they thought you know thought uh you know carolina couldn't match because they front loaded the contract is money up front 21 million dollars in the first calendar year yeah and at that compensation rate it was only the first second and third like we said so they thought they could get the best of both worlds, honestly, and it, and it they just didn't work they out. They could outsmart that rich fucking Tom Dundon. Is they what did. They thought. Yeah. And I have a clip here which I wanna I wanna play. Everybody's trying to make their team better. I don't think this was you know we've we've looked at all the ways to make our team better and never came to the conclusion that an offer sheet was the best way. When you look at the got to keep cap space to do it and that means you're not making other moves and then your probability of succeeding is almost zero so it's not i don't it's irrelevant to me who did it i just 
I don't think it's a great strategy, and I think it's kind of proven that it was probably a waste of time. So there you go. Though the Carolina Hurricanes only made, I believe it was, uh, $21 million. It was like six bucks. In, uh, in, in revenue last season. Like in total, I think ticket, like, or not in revenue, just in ticket sales. Sorry, I shouldn't say revenue. I'm going to scale it back. They made just over $21 million in ticket sales. Okay. Um, that's how much they're going to have to pay out to Aho in, in, you know, in their first year. So <laughs> yeah. with that in mind, Tom Dundon, you know, came and said, sure, the Carolina Hurricanes, as you heard there to sum it up, may be a budget team, but I... he has the money. This guy's a billionaire. He Tom Dundon doesn't know the word budget. Exactly. So he said, with all due respect, I just slapped my dick on the table and uh, $20 million just kind of pops out. So there you go. <laughs> they call Mark me Berger. the budget man. They call the budget man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Munch, this forces Montreal, in my opinion, to have to make another uh, move. The five-year term means that Ajo, like I said, is slated to become an unrestricted free agent at 26. That kind of sucks too for the Carolina Hurricanes because mm-hmm. you'd think Waddell probably would have wanted to sign him long-term to a seven-year, perhaps even eight-year deal. But five- what does Don Waddell do at the end of the day? Don Waddell Not bends much. over. Yeah. Bends like, over just to like Tom Luke. Dunn, just like Luke. Luke's bending over. So Luke's getting fucked, buster. Um... His eight point four five four, like I said, eight point five million dollar annual ca- uh, salary uh, could end up being a bargain as the twenty twenty one year old star forward led the Carolina Hurricanes, Dylan, thirty goals, eighty three points in eighty two games. Uh, Waddell explained to Sportsnet on Monday that he was actually surprised it wasn't more, as we were, Dylan, um, when he was uh, discussing Ahu's new cap hit. He said, "I know my summer just got." and this is tongue-in-cheek, better because I'm not going to have to spend it all negotiating a new contract. It's already slated for me. So there you go. Bing, bang, boom. They Just put on those thug life glasses. Yeah, it's official Wednesday. They are going to match. Um, One last thing, though, Dylan. Don't you think that other teams around the league probably wanted Waddell to wait out the seven days and make Montreal sweat a bit? Yeah, that would have been nice, Because then Montreal, yeah. because they have a pending offer... Yeah. They, they actually can't go and sign another one. Hey, that's that's a great point. If you try to screw me over, I'm going to screw you over, just like Luke. But I guess that's kind of why people don't... We don't see this exercise being used. It's because, let's be honest, these guys, people are, well, these, guys, over, like, these, yeah, well, these guys are competitors. They're obviously going to be sour when, uh, you know, Waddell and Tom Dunnan's like... Sure, I have twenty-one million dollars flowing on my dick that I can just send you, but I don't necessarily want to do that. Well, just like we were talking about Jimmy VC, what goes around comes yeah. around. Eventually, everyone gets bent over. Then can I pause, can I pause on Marner for a second? Is it, has it become as embarrassing for you as it is, as it is for me to see how psychologically damaged Leafs fans are over the Marner thing to the point where they think the Aho offer sheet in some way, shape, or form affects what Marner might be looking for? Like, are you insane? Like, they're so delu- they're they're so desperate to find a way to get this guy in for the price they think they're going to get him that they're actually trying to apply this situation to the Marner one and like. It's, I, I, I actually feel bad. I feel sympathy for them that they're that damaged right now to think that one has to do with the other. I mean, closing thoughts, though, Dylan, do you like this deal? I, I love the deal for the Carolina Hurricanes. And do you I mean, like it for Ajo? I think it's almost a bargain because no. this guy could have made 10. He could have made 10, yeah. I, I, I think both parties win here. I really do. There you go. Should we move on now? We've had, we had enough NHL talk for one day. Um, Let's bring on our guest. A proud BU Terrier. A 15-year pro who played not only in the National Hockey League, but around the globe and 
TSN's hockey color commentator for the IIHF World Hockey Championship alongside our friend John Abbott. Welcome to the Sticker Ring Podcast, Dave Tomlinson. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to get to the contact from you to uh, have an invitation and, and be a part of things here. Yes, sir. It's our pleasure. How's it going this evening? I mean, enjoying some baseball along with this beautiful weather I see on Twitter. Yeah, uh, I, uh, once the, the hockey season ends, uh, I've got a son who's nine and a half and a decent little hockey player and a decent baseball player. So he's in his uh, all-stars right now and a bit of a tournament going on to the districts. And then I got the opportunity to take him out to a Canadians game and a nooner and see what the, the big leagues look like for him. And so, yeah, uh, try to transition from sport to sport when I can. Great stuff. Uh, and like I said, uh, when we were talking prior to having you on us here on the Sticker Ring podcast, wish your boy and his team all the best. Dave, this is a really a real treat for us because uh, not only are you a decorated broadcaster, but you're also a former professional hockey league player with a unique story to accompany that. So let's start at the beginning. Obviously a talented center growing up here in British Columbia. Um, when were your talents first recognized and in what ways did your parents go about your development? I mean, I imagine like today, there's a junior A and college route and there was a major junior route. Well, you're right. Uh, things have blended now with uh, college and uh, juniors, but uh, I'll go back to myself, like born and raised on the North Shore in North Vancouver and um, played my minor hockey at the North Shore Winter Club, and we were always fortunate to have a pretty pretty strong team, so I was used to, at a young age, winning uh, you know, our last game of the season, so provincials or anything on from there. But... Um, my dad was a professional football player, played in the CFL a bunch of years and won a great cup. So when I was growing up, I was doing multi-sports. I played football, I played hockey, I played soccer, I was a swimmer. I used to ski up in the Cross Mountain there. So I grew up playing all sorts of sports and then eventually uh, some of them just kind of fell to the wayside and hockey became my primary thing. But that wasn't you know, probably till 12 years old. And, uh, you know, I played junior uh, I decided that uh, it'd be better to keep my options open for a hockey scholarship, and I wasn't really that big of a guy when I was playing my junior hockey, so played on a really crappy team in Summerland, but uh, got exposure in the BCHL my first year and had a 48-goal season as a rookie, which is not bad. And then second year, played for the Richmond Sockeyes. Our coach was uh, Cucks' first-ever captain, Orline Curtinback, and we won the Centennial Cup, which is the Canadian Championship in Tier 2 Junior A, and that got me a scholarship to Boston University. And it was around that time where I realized that uh, well, maybe I could make a living doing this. So, um, you know, it wasn't one of those things where I was the you know, name on everybody's tip of their tongue playing hockey. There's always other guys that were seemingly getting talked about more, but I decided if I if I had to make it, I'd have to do it by working my tail off and kind of got that work ethic from my dad. Hard work paid off. And folks, Dave Tomlinson, though you said you played on a crappy team in your first year of junior, 88 points, and you followed that up next season with a banger, 43 goals on 108 points in 51 games. Was it that season where you started to get some interest from the NCAA? Like, When did you start um, hearing from schools um, who were targeting you, and, and how does that process work um, in regards to being sought after by an NCAA school? Well, you know, it, it, it's might have it's might it's changed just a little bit I think now but I'll go back to when I was playing and that's back in the 
late 80s, um, my first year in Summerland, it was for the Summerland Buckaroos, and we had we probably had the, the best stereo system in the league, we had the best <laughs> team jackets in the league, and, and that was about it. We weren't a very good hockey team. But um, I, you know, I, I was all about just offense, and so uh, I was putting the puck in the net. We weren't winning hockey games, but you know, I was trying to pad my stats as a first-year junior guy, and at the end of the season, I actually wrote to universities asking them to, as the season was going on, to come, come down and scout me and watch me play. And I, it was the both Alaska, uh, they had the University of Alaska Fairbanks and uh, the other one as well. And I actually asked them for a scholarship and I never heard back. And so that wasn't you know that great. And then my next season with Richmond, we had a team owner who really wanted to build a, a real big, uh, tough squad. And he did that. And so... Once I started putting up the points early, the colleges and universities started coming out and, and scouting. And uh, there was a gentleman who, you know, said he could contact the universities for you and have them come out and watch you. And I didn't, uh, nor did my family have the money to, to pay an advisor. So what I used to do was when he would represent one of the other guys on the team and say, hey, you know, so-and-so's in the building, I would say, oh, tell him I want to go over there. So I heard that Boston <laughs> University was was coming to watch my buddy play. It was actually Phil Von Stefanelli. And so... That, I always just, in my head, as a kid, thought that I was going to play pro hockey in Boston or play hockey in Boston. It was just whatever. I grew up a Bruins fan as a kid. You know, I was born in 1968, so Bobby Orr and Stan Jonathan were, were my, my guys. And, you know, it turned out that I played well when BU was there scouting me, and then they came to watch again. I played well again. And then we uh, went on and, and won a bunch of games in the playoffs, obviously, to the, to the very end. So by the end of that season, they had given me a... a College uh, scholarship opportunity. I'd, there's been maybe 15 or 16 different university, universities that had gotten in touch. But as soon as BU came along, like that was it. I went on a, a recruiting mission there, and Coach Jack Parker, on the last day that I was there, there for a couple of days, said, Hey, listen, go back home, talk to your parents, think about what's you know best for your hockey and uh, what's best for your development, and then you know get back in touch after a couple of days. And I said, Coach, I'm coming. And he said, No, no, go talk to your parents. I said, You know what? It doesn't matter what they say. <laughs> I'm coming. And it turned out to be honestly the smartest hockey decision I've ever made because the development I had over my four years at BU turned me from a guy that could put the puck in the net to a guy who could play in, in any aspect of the game. Well, we've had various college players on the show who've developed in the BCHL here on Vancouver Island. You know, the Nanaimo Clippers, the Victoria Grizzlies, Powell River Kings, Couch and Capitals, all great franchises and, and heavily supported here. Um, and they're all thrilled with taking the college route, that respected hockey path. They specifically comment on the unique culture um, that college hockey has versus major junior. Um, li like you said, there's so much development there on and off the ice. But they also said that the locker room is unique as student athletes are not solely athletes. And it provides uh, more of a flavor there in the locker room. I mean, you played with some characters and tremendous athletes as well, Dave. I mean, can you share a few words on both Keith Kachuk and uh, Sean McCarum? Well, I certainly can. Um I'll just jump back quickly on the decision between Major Junior and oh, absolutely. Uh, going the NCAA route. And in my situation, like I was five seven, one hundred and fifty pounds, and I was playing for the Richmond Sockeyes. Like I, I wasn't. My idea, you know, I didn't think that I would be able to cut it in the Western Hockey League. I thought I'd get eaten up and, and spit out. And the thing with going to university is that 
you know, they, when you at least at that time, when you accept the scholarship, you got four more years of hockey. If I was to go to the you know, Western Hockey League, I might have four weeks, and then I'm done. So the idea was you know, to play as long as I could. And, and again, I modest goals at that time. I just wanted to, to accept the scholarship and see where things went. But things just, the way that they work out at uh, the university level, you know, you play on the weekends, you get a whole bunch of practice time. And the biggest thing for me was you spend a ton of time in the gym. So, you know, when I graduated from BU, I was then 5'11 and uh, 185 pounds and, you know, 7% body fat. Like, I went from a scrawny little whatever weakling to, you know, a guy that could, could handle the rigors of pro hockey. And so along the way, he had some teammates, some characters. Um, Sean McEachern, I'll start with him. I mean, he here's a guy that could skate like the wind. He was one of the strongest players overall for us in the gym. And just when we used to do training, uh, we had a five-mile run that you had to do to, to make the team each uh, year. <laughs> and, and Sean couldn't do it. He couldn't really? finish the five miles. In, in, you had to do it in 40 minutes, and he couldn't do it. Half of it was being lazy because he didn't like to run. But, I mean, here's a guy that was he could squat and he could clean, but he just, for whatever reason, couldn't run long distance, and yet was one of the fastest skaters on the team. And he always had this kind of weird little laugh when you got him going. So between him and, and Tony Amante, those two guys, I mean, one was cracking the other up every single time. And then Keith Kachuk, when he came in, to BU, he was a freshman when I was a senior, and he he was still full of baby fat. I mean, he was just pudgy, and you know, guys used to get on him for that. And, um, but you could see that that he could play. I mean, you know, he for a guy that was carrying extra weight as a you know a freshman, he just he could knock guys over and, and carry the puck to net. And our team actually went to the national championship and lost in triple overtime in Northern Michigan. So that was kind of the the last memory of uh, being at BU, but when I turned pro and ended up with the Winnipeg Jets, uh, I was back again with Keith Kachuk, and we ended up uh, rooming together and housing together, and uh, so it was kind of nice to, to know that on the team. Amazing stuff. Folks, we're joined by Dave Tomlinson, former professional hockey player, now broadcaster. You can give him a follow on Twitter at DaveTSN. Um, Dave, tell us about your transition to the professional game upon graduating from BU, and what NHL slash AHL stop was most memorable to you and why? Well, so what happened was I got drafted in what was called the supplemental draft, which was for players that didn't get drafted in the regular draft, but you know were college guys. And basically it was a scam for NHL teams to own guys' rights so they wouldn't be free agents. So I was drafted with I, I, I tell this when I do kind of, uh, you know, some banquet speeches or anything. I was a first rounder of the Toronto Maple Leafs, third overall, but again, it was a supplemental draft, so not as uh, big weight <laughs> as the regular entry draft. But, um, so they were my rights. I went to training camp and, and here's how things have changed. They had uh, 65 guys invited to camp. Uh, training camp, they divided the team. They, the, I think they divided into three or four teams and all you did was scrimmage and beat the crap out of each other. And so this was different for me coming out of um, college hockey, the fights and everything like that. But there were 14 centermen at training camp, and seven of them were on one-way contracts. Jeez. So I knew that I was probably not going to crack the Maple Leafs. I got sent down to St. John's, which was the, the new farm club for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It was the first time that St. John's had a pro team, and we just we had a good team. We had three rookie centermen, myself, Yannick Perot, and Mike Eastwood, and we went all the way to the Calder Cup final. We actually lost in Game Seven to the Adirondack Red Wings, coached by Barry Melrose. And we and that was the first time ever in the AHL that the home team 
lost every game. So we lost the first two games at home, won the next two games on the road, lost game five, won game six, and then we were ahead 2-1 in game seven and ended up losing 5-2. Our coach was Mark Crawford, and our player coach was Joel Quinto. Wow. What a bench. Wow. I mean, what was it like to play for that tandem? I mean, that 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 just screams fire. Mark Crawford, it was his first year coaching professionally. He'd come out of uh, junior. Um, he... He was one of the best coaches I had at, at preparing guys to play. Like his, his talk or his speech or his you know, fire and brimstone before hockey games would have you ready to go and playing uh, on the rock in Newfoundland. I mean, the fans, it was a sellout every night. So we had no problem getting up and, and getting ready for hockey games. On the bench, uh, Crow, the early Crow days, like he used to lose his temper like crazy. Still, you know, did that as an NHL coach, but he's tempered you know, now. But... Uh, it was like it, you you would never want to be in his crosshairs, and because we had so many rookies, I somehow just eluded uh, you know his his venom, and it it actually really helped me. But again, you know the story of my career was one in, in which I had to really prove myself because at the time you know you you dressed your twelve forwards, but um, I was their thirteenth forward. I you know I didn't know if I was going to play my first game, and then we had an injury before the game, uh, so I ended up playing my first ever game in Hershey uh, against the Hershey Bears, and uh, my winger was Kevin McClellan, and uh, he he helped me because nobody touched me, and he'd uh, go after him, so I had a lot of protection my first year, which was pretty big, but like I said, we, I was a checking sentiment on, a, on one of the best teams in the league, and it took us all the way to the finals. Folks, Dave absolutely crushed it in the minors and in the International Hockey League. I mean, over a point per game in each league, respectively, it's worth checking out the numbers on Elite Prospect. Uh, Dave, you also tore it up in the DEL over in Germany, um, and that's where your European pro hockey career took off. So coming off a 96-point season in the IHL uh, in 86 games, not a big deal. Why why did you and your representation believe Germany was a good fit, which obviously it was, and what what was it like making a living as a pro athlete overseas? Well, I'll tell you what happened is, you know, once I turned pro, I gave myself five years to be a regular NHLer. And uh, it just, it, it, I didn't get, uh, you know, the ice time that I, I needed when I was with Toronto. So I asked for a trade. I got traded to Winnipeg. Uh, trivia for people who are going to listen to this deep. I was the first ever player traded away from the Florida Panthers. So I was traded from um, Toronto through to Florida. And then Florida traded me to the Winnipeg Jets. And so out of all the transactions that they had by taking players off, um, you know, the um, expansion process and everything else, I was the actual first body that they ever traded out of Florida. So anyways, um, you know, played in Winnipeg, played almost the full season, was a healthy scratch a lot. We went to the Calder Cup uh, final again in that year. And um, then I wanted to get out of Winnipeg. I wanted a, a new opportunity, went to Florida. They're an expansion team. Roger Nielsen was the coach. But for whatever reason, I couldn't crack that squad as a regular checking guy. So I went to Cincinnati and IHL, put up a couple 100-point seasons. And my thinking was, okay, if I'm putting up 100 points and the Florida Panthers can't score goals and they're not going to give me an opportunity, then I'm not going to go to a, another team and try to prove my worth. Uh, I want to go somewhere where I could play big minutes and be a part of something. And I ended up... Uh, going to Mannheim, Germany, and it turned out to be one of the best decisions uh, for my pro hockey career because 
when I got there, um, they built a team that was ready to win, and um, we won four championships my first five years, and I was a big fish in a small pond and making a ton of money and driving a Porsche, and I was single, so hey, who wouldn't want to do that? You spent most of your uh, European career in Germany. What caused you to change and make the move to uh, the Swiss League in 2005-2006? Well, what happened was played a bunch of years in Mannheim. We were a powerhouse, and we had a new coach come in. He wanted to change all the veterans, so I ended up going to Nuremberg for a year. It wasn't run what I was used to with the organization, how he came from Mannheim which was professionally run real well. So I asked to get out of there, went to Hamburg, played two season there. I tore up my uh, ligaments in my wrist pretty bad. And it was my, my 10th year in Germany, and um, some teams were waiting to sign other guys. And then I got an opportunity from uh, a team in Switzerland in the Swiss B League in Martinet. The coach called me up. Uh, Kevin Ryan was his name. He said, listen, Dave, um, I know about you. I know about your career. I need a veteran in my dressing room. Um, we can't pay a ton, but you don't, you know, you can help me out with uh, coaching. You can practice if you want. You don't have to practice if you don't want. I just need your veteran presence because I got a young hockey team. And I said to him, you know what? I appreciate that um, guy. He gave me a contract, gave me money that was decent, and I told him, listen, I'm not going to take a day off. That's not going to prove anything to the young kids. And so it was just, it was a new opportunity. But usually in the Swiss B League, you're only as good as your two imports. And our import defenseman got injured in training camp, Ted Crowley, so he was gone. And then we brought in Terry Yake, who became a buddy of mine, but he broke his thumb, so then he was gone. And then we brought in this, uh, the coach that brought me there got fired, and they brought in a uh, Russian coach who spoke Russian and French, because Martinet is a French town. I, I don't speak either. I spoke German and English. And then what happened was they brought in this young Russian as another import, and he wasn't very good, so our team was starting to spiral down. At the end of the season, because I was making some good dough, the president tried to get me to quit and said, we're not going to pay you. And I said, well, sorry, i got a contract. You're going to have to pay me or let me go back to Germany. And they said, uh, yeah, we'd rather let you go back to Germany. So there's a transfer window, and it's usually before the playoffs. I was able to execute that, get out of uh, my contract in Martinet. I went to Krefeld to play for the Penguins, and they brought me in there to help them get into the playoffs, which we did, and that was uh, the last professional hockey I played. Well, what an end to, uh, like I said, a very unique hockey story and career, and uh, you did quite well in those playoffs, I believe. Uh, four points, two goals in five games, so a nice bow on uh, that career, Dave, and thanks for sharing that story with us. A listener of TSN 1040 when you contributed uh, those many years, and, you know, I heard you talk about the Canucks, but I didn't get a chance to hear about you yourself and your career, so our listeners will be excited about that too. Uh, Quickly, um, I want to ask one more question uh, about your broadcasting career before we close out here. Um, In 2010, it was announced that you would replace Tom Larshide as the color commentator for the Vancouver Canucks radio broadcast um, starting from the 2010-2011 season onward. I mean, this was a special season for so many reasons, as you know, but it was also a special season for my peer group and myself as we graduated high school that spring so you can imagine you know as a young Canucks fan as a teenager a bunch of boys just who loved hockey how special that was for us um before we close things up here though Dave tell us um how you went from being a pro hockey player uh, a decorated one in that over in Europe to a color commentator of the Canucks I mean where did your interest in media start and how did you eventually develop the skills to step into some big shoes here in the Canucks media scene 
<sighs> Honestly, when I was growing up, when I was a kid, my idea, my my goals were to play pro hockey for a living and be a sports broadcaster. Like I, literally from a four, five, six, seven year old kid. Uh, I told you earlier that, you know, I always thought that I'd play hockey in Boston. That was one of my ideas is that I was going to play hockey in Boston. And then after I'm done hockey, I'm going to get into sports broadcasting. And it, it just, it was just one of those things that that was what I was going to do. And so I, I don't usually have a plan B. Uh, I have plan A and I make it work. And that's kind of how my life has gone. And um, it was interesting because I had met Paul Carson, who actually started Team 1040 way back in the day because he was uh, dating a girl who was the sister of a teammate of mine back when I played hockey at the North Shore Air Club. And Paul was from Winnipeg and remembered me from my Jets days. And I uh, was talking with him and I told him, hey, you know, after my pro hockey career is over, I want to be a sports broadcaster. And he's like, oh, well, come on to the station and, um, you know, get to get to know what it's like so as I was still playing I went visit the station I met, met Brooke Ward and he said hey why don't you come on with me right now I said I was like zero prep sure sure so uh you know had an opportunity to do that with him and it just kind of set the seed and when I had finished my last year pro uh the team uh, 1040 had just gotten the rights to the Vancouver Canucks I'd gone into their offices and said hey remember me it was on a while ago they said yeah I said hey listen here's what's up I'm gonna quit hockey and I'm going to work for you guys. And the program director, Rob Gray, said, well, that's nice to hear. Like, we like your contributions, but we we don't have a job for you. And I said, no, that's okay. We'll figure it out. And he said, well, you'd have to find a way to get paid. And I said, oh, we'll figure that out, too. I just want to know if you can put me on the air sometime. And they said, yeah, we'll, we'll find a time for you. So that was it. Humble beginnings. I had a seven-minute segment with Brooke Ward at 1030 at night called the Hockey Hotspot. And I'd always told Rob Gray, and this is the first time I've told the story, that if ever there's an opportunity to do color, that's what I want to do. I said, I'll do anything else you want, but if, and I know you've got Tom Larshide, and, and I, he's my favorite, and I love him and respect him, but if there's ever going to be a change or an opportunity, please give me a chance. And he said, I can't guarantee that, but I'll keep that in mind. And then, lo and behold, you know, Tom would take a break through the season. They gave me a couple reps. And then um, it just so happened that that summer, you wouldn't believe this, but I read in the newspaper that um, Tom Larshight is retiring, right? Um, and so the next day I get an email that I'm supposed to come in and talk to my program director. So I'm thinking, okay, they're making changes, and they're going to fire me. And so I go, I drive there ready to defend myself on getting fired. And so I go to meet the program manager. He says, hey, come down to, to HR. we got to talk. So I, I'm understanding that now I'm going into the room with HR and they're going to you know, let me go. And I've been there for you know four or five years and all that stuff. So I'm about to stand up and light into these people for what I'm thinking is them telling me they can't either afford me or, or have room for me or, or whatever. But instead, I just decided to sit down and listen. And they offered me the color job. Wow. And before uh, they... They told me, you know, what they were was going to entail. I said yes. I said yes, 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 and um, that was it. And it turned out to be obviously a special year because the Canucks went on the way. Um, it was something I'll never forget. I obviously wish that Game Seven would have gone a different way, so I had a better ending to my my first year of being a color commentator. But it truly is my passion, and I'm going to get back into the color chair for somebody. Maybe it's the Canucks, but. Um, sometime soon mark my words outstanding stuff dave and 
I mean, tremendous broadcasting career, tremendous hockey career. We wish you all the best. We're out of time right now, but we thank you for yours. It was an absolute pleasure having you on Stick and Rink, and I hope we can catch up again soon down the road. All right. I love it. Part two. Sounds great. And maybe we can get John Abbott up uh, with you because he's been on the show before and he's uh, he, he's talked very highly of you as well. And we love that pair at the World Hockey Championship. So maybe we can uh, set something up soon. That would be good. I could tell you, I will I will tell you then who gave him the nickname Aberdoodle. Oh, there you go. Uh, cliffhanger for our listeners. Thanks again, Dave. You bet. These rhythms making every granny beat feet. My rhymes go boom, boom, the crowd goes. Bump of the bumper in the busiest street. Make your head go around like the dizziest feet. Yes, bass is the barricade. Bully the beat. I thought I heard a putty rap in the great words of love, not war. If you diss me, it's peace. Ground water like whiskey is cheap. We in the streets deep. All right, so uh, this is going to be a quick one. It's going to be uh, quicker than the quick hits, I believe. Because we only got one question this week. And you know who it's from. At Van Nice Shane, the nicest of Shanes. By the way, shame on everybody else. Not shame, shame on, you. on you. Shame on you. One question this week, that's weak. And Shane didn't even answer the bat signal. He sent it to me on Monday. Oh, so this guy you, is just unreal. Shane asked, this guy's amazing. who would you say was the riskiest pick of the draft and why? Shane, let's let's stay in the first round um, because let's be honest, second round onward, don't really know much about the players. Sure, I read about them in the hockey news and the big black book and all that. <laughs> Dylan thought I was going to say something else, but uh, I, I, I'm more informed of the first round. Dylan, you have it up right now. I'm going to get it up on my screen. What, what are your preliminary thoughts in answering Shane's question? Well, uh, two really stand out to me in the top 15 uh, I, I think the obvious one to go with, and I, and I suspect you, you're going to mention them, the Detroit Red Wings. Right. Uh, selecting Moritz Sider at number six. I believe he was pegged in the late 20s. Yeah, in the hockey news, I believe it was 24. And dude, some people had him even in the second round because they just haven't seen him a lot and he hadn't played, played a lot of pro hockey. Sure, he was playing in the pro uh, Czech league, but it's not like he had a prominent role, much like we see with young Europe, European players playing in the KHL or the S, uh, the SHL. But as far as riskiest pick, I would say the Florida Panthers with goaltender Spencer Knight, just yeah. for the fact that it's always risky to take a goaltender with a first round pick. Generally, you can get those guys in the second, third round. I guess it says something about Spencer Knight's talent that he was picked 13th overall. But yeah, I, I'd go with that pick for the riskiest one. I'm kind of looking late in the first round to just you know to, to further talk. You know you, about your subject. You know you talked about the the first 15 picks and kind of you know talking about a goaltender being picked in the first round and obviously Detroit going off the board at number six in uh, Cider. But looking in the later parts of the first round, Nolan Foote was projected to be a second rounder and Tampa Bay took him 27th overall. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes took Ryan Suzuki, who this guy's all skill, but even in the OHL, his defensive game, well, well there is no defensive game. So taking him in the first round, I mean, sure, he's a project. I'm not going to see him for a few years. But I think that's the type of player who maybe could have you could have picked up in the second round or who, who could have dropped. Same with Tobias uh, Bjornfoot, the Bear Claw himself. And, and, I, and I just mentioned those three players because if you just scroll down to the second round, there's a ton of players in the second round that could have 
slotted into those positions and maybe could have been more of a safer first round pick maybe you know Bobby Brink even uh the the Nils Hoaglanders like the Vancouver Canucks uh, selected yeah I think if you look at the list between 20 and 40 I, I don't know if there's much separation or if any separation between those players so you know whoever you picked at 20 or 40 I think you're getting a similar a similar kind of player yeah a lot of people were up in arms about Cam York at 14 I mean I really like that pick defender out of the uh, U.S. National Development Program. But yeah, Shane, the, the two ones, I'll have to agree with Dylan in regards to just answering your question with a concrete answer. Uh, Mortis Cider and obviously Spencer Knight are probably the two riskiest picks. All right, folks. Now it. it's time for the names of the game. Gulalame Latin Dursi with chicken. Holy shit, eh? Face-off, got turnaround, shot, traffic out of front, loose puck, they shoot, they score! Bo Meester paid that man his money! Kabakuli. Nabooin? They shoot, they score! You're my boy, Blue! <laughs> I've never heard these names before. Who's your daddy and what does he do? Where the hell is this going? We skipped this last week, folks. Like we said, it was a jam-packed show. This jam-packed. Turning out to be a jam-packed show, but last uh, segment of the evening, um, the names of the game. Last week, you know, I was I was pulling for this one. So thanks to everyone who Ooh. voted on the names of the game poll question. Again, find it every week at Sticker Rink Pod on Twitter, the names of the game poll question. Uh, our competitors were Roman Chechmanic, Carmen Anthony Paglia Rulo. I, I, I mess it up I know, every time. I mess it up every time. Paglia Rulo, Hayden Verbeek, and Nathan Dunkley. Um, I, I think it was a no brainer. This one was a slam dunk. Nathan Dunkley wins at 40%. Roman Chechmanic back again, I believe, third week running as the runner up. So again, uh, Nathan Dunkley, which we will profile momentarily. Um, great name and just just an amazing name it really stood out to me we both predicted this one upon uh, uh you highlighting it uh, i guess it was two weeks ago sometimes you just know sometimes you just know and uh you know nathan dunkley is a center a forward folks from the london knights oh you know he's making money already <laughs> he's already making that bank uh he stands at 511 pounds not a not a huge guy, but not a small guy either. He's 19 years old from Campbellford, Ontario. I uh, say Campbell River. <laughs> I was getting close there. He has played for the London Knights. He actually had a pretty decent season last year, putting up 53 points in 67 games. He's also played for the Kingston Frontenacs of the OHL. And then the Quint Red Devils minor oh. midget AAA team of the ETAMMHL. Say that three times fast. Um, wow. So the London Knights, clearly they have an eye for talent. They scout players like no other junior team. They basically run um, you know, a professional operation there. And they acquired him from the Kingston Frontenacs. And upon acquiring him, he put up eight goals and 24 points. Uh, that season and like you said Dylan last year 53 points 23 goals and a respectable five points in 11 playoff games is this kid going to be a National Hockey League player probably not I mean that everyone who comes through London puts up points but he's 19 years old maybe 
he's a free agent signing down the road, or maybe he's a late round draft pick next year upon re-entering it. I mean, if you play for the London Knights, does that not just boost your draft stock a little bit? Oh, it gets you a round or two. There you go. He's a smaller player, but hey, that seems to be the trend. I don't know if he's a natural goal scorer because obviously his goal scoring picked up since joining the London Knights, but a, a decent player. You know, sometimes these names of the game, great name, garbage player. They got to get the sticker ring bump to be good, even if they're, you know, 80, still trying to get around. <laughs> but Dunkley, he's a young pup, and hopefully with the stick and rink bump, uh, he'll get drafted next year. All right, Nathan Dunkley. <laughs> there you go, folks. All right, we're going to move on to the new names this week. Uh, we're going to start off with Roman Czechmanic, who was the runner-up from last week. And the week before, if I'm not and mistaken. And the week before, so he's sticking around. Uh, then we're going to move on to Josh Nodler. <laughs> just nodding away. He's the guy, you know, in practice who he's, he doesn't say anything, but he's, yeah. uh-huh, uh-huh, and the coach is like, I love you. You don't say shit, and you just keep Nodler. He goes to a Nodler, party. Nodler. Oh, I can make so many awful jokes with Nodler. Um, then we're going to move on to... Barely knew her. <laughs> Ilya Konovalov. It's a very German-sounding hmm. name. Ilya Konovalov. Uh, and then... This is uh this is a pure Canadian wilderness northern Albertan name. Oh yeah. Hunter Skinner. What did you do to her, Hunter Skinner? Wow. Dylan, you never cease to disappoint. Please, folks, please, if you're listening, go and vote at Stick and Rink Pod. This is probably one of the best roster of names that we've ever had on the names of the I game. Never segment. cease to disappoint you. Never. Not in the names of the game. It's he late, never folks. ceased to amaze me. Oh, fuck. He never stop amazing. Ceases to stop. Well, I got the saying mix up, all right? It's fucking over. land papers, Jim. Fucking land papers, Jim. Literally the last segment, uh, it was going to be my closing thoughts on it anyway, so appropriately. Well, sorry, I just fucked it all up then. That's okay, Dylan. It's uh, It's been a long night, but again, folks, go and vote all on all of these new names at Stick and Rink Pod. One of my favorite segments, and like I said, this is probably one of the best rosters we've ever had. I'm not going to say I'm going to pick the winner, but I'm going to get a little a little nudgy-poo to Josh here, Josh Nodler. And Dylan, you never newer. cease to amaze me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay, folks, our radio affiliate, CHLY, is always looking for donations and local sponsors. Um, I believe they're in their fun drive right now. Um, we're always looking for donations as well on Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast. Our listenership, as always, continues to skyrocket it. And we would also love to help our local businesses on the island or in the Vancouver Pacific Northwest region. So contact us at stickandrinkpod or shoot us an email, stickandrinkpodcast at gmail.com. All of our social media is at stickandrinkpod, and that's where we post a ton of our poll questions like the names of the game poll question like our sub poll question this week dylan are you a ricola <laughs> or a halls person classic halls baby and at sticker rink pod you can vote on twitter um as we close out the show here dylan episode 99 we getting into the first part because we're divvying it up part one and part two of the 100th episode of the sticker ring podcast Folks, uh, the end is near for us for Stick and Rink. I'm getting sad. I'm, I may shed a tear. It's going to be an emotional time. You know, we're going to put on some sad music at the end there just to make it even worse. I will remember you. But anyways. I will remember you. 
Okay. Yeah. Will enough of that. Enough of that. Uh, it was a great show. We got, like you just said, we got some more episodes coming up. Some more long ones on the radio. I know we missed some trades. We missed some signings. But we're gonna dive into all of that on the on the upcoming episodes. Yeah, and that's uh, I'll remind you, folks, July fourteenth, baby, and July twenty eighth from four to seven p.m. Pacific time. If you miss any part of the show, you can download it. Um, wherever you get your podcast app, same handle at stick in rink pod. Um, reminder folks to check out on Twitter at mm-hmm. hockey pod net, the hockey podcast network, a ton of summer giveaways. If you follow the page, tag two friends and retweet the contest post, you, uh, you have a chance to win. What, what's coming up next, Dylan? Oh, we got a sick signed Bo Horvat puck. Wow. That's right, folks. So again, stay tuned for all the updates. Um, Dylan and I, every uh, few days, are introducing, making a little introduction post of all the hosts um, who are going to be covering all of the National Hockey League teams. So it just kind of gives you guys the opportunity to get to know them on, you know, some of their stuff and uh, and media work that they're currently doing or or have done uh, leading up to the October first launch of the Hockey Podcast Network. So again. Check it out at HockeyPodNet on Twitter. All the rest of the social media pages are coming. You know, Facebook's coming. It just takes a while now for them to make sure everything's all good. Um, but in the meantime, follow us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. One dollar, folks, gets you the Stick and Rink pregame show. Less than a coffee. Less than a coffee. Um, follow Stick and Rink Pod on Twitter and all other social media. Instagram, Facebook, the whole show. Bang. Download the show from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Uh, please rate and review. Dylan, where can they find you on Twitter now? Can you change your handle? I, I change it quickly. A little D-Y-L underscore T-H-P-N. What's that for? The Hockey Podcast Network. I didn't change shit, ladies and gentlemen. Mine's at VI Sports Talk and producer T. You can follow him, who he's going to be covering the San Jose show on the Hockey Podcast Network. So his handle may change, but for the meantime, it's at producer underscore T E E. All right. I think that's it. That's I think it. we're done. We're, get, done. we're done. We're done. pizza box and put the pizza box in the stall yeah i mean that's 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 that was normal par for the course yeah. back then yeah i mean <laughs> one guy like he's in the shower he's he pisses he pees in the air he catches it in the mouth and he, he spits it at you oh my. i'm not gonna mention the guy but uh <laughs> yeah, yeah like i mean it was yeah like some of the stuff that went down yeah uh that it, is, wouldn't, it wouldn't happen nowadays